0: Welcome to Gateway Church's podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you're encouraged by today's message. All right, we're beginning a new series uh, called The Seven Churches of Revelation. You've been waiting for this series. You've been wondering, Pastor Robert, when are you ever gonna preach on The Seven Churches of Revelation? Well, here it is, all right? So the first thing I wanna do, though, is give you some background on the book of Revelation, and on the apostle John, or the disciple John, who wrote the book. I also want to remind you that when I begin a series, about in the first message, about the first one half of the message, or two-thirds of the message, is laying the foundation for the whole series. And then we'll actually get to the first church, and the Lord kind of zeroes this in on one major thing about it. And so we'll get to that in a minute. The reason I say that is for those of you who are like I am, who are time conscious. And since I won't get to my first point until two-thirds of the way through, I don't want you to pass out, okay? So we got plenty of time for everything, all this background information that you'll love about the book of Revelation. First of all, you need to know that the book of Revelation is a letter. It's a letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor, which is Turkey now but it's the whole book is a letter. And much of the New Testament are letters. You've you've read the letter to the church at Ephesus called the book of Ephesians. You've read the two letters to the church of Corinth called 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Thessalonica, Thessalonians. Uh, Colossia, um, Colossians. Galatia, Galatians, are you following me? So this is a letter. Matter of fact, people don't realize Peter was written, 1st Peter and 2nd Peter, uh, to the uh, tribes of Israel that had been dispersed. Same with James. So it's kind of at the very first of the book that we don't even read that part. We just kind of go past that part of to whom it was written. So so this, this is a, a letter. It was written about 95 AD. So 95, almost uh, 65 years, a little over 65 years after Jesus was The resurrection of Christ. And Jesus appears to John on the island of Patmos. Now, it was written probably 96, but I'm rounding dates off because in your mind you could do math easier if we round it off, all right? The reason I'm saying this is Jesus appears to John. He appears to Paul in about 33 to 35 A.D., and this is going to shock you, what I'm about to tell you, if you've never heard this. He was uh, resurrected in about 29 AD. I know you're thinking, yeah, but he was 33 and a half. I understand that. But that's because he was actually born in 4 BC. <laughs> I, know, I know you're wondering, well, how could he be born four years before Christ? It's because we didn't understand about the calendar. And the BC AD started about 500 AD. Now, I just want to mention one thing. Today they're trying, they've changed it, and they're not using BC AD. BC means before Christ, AD means the year of our Lord. They've changed it to BCE before common era and CE common era. And when you, if you go online and read about why they changed it, they will say this has nothing to do with taking Christ out of, out of it. Nothing at all. But if you go back and see why they started it, they say very plainly, we're doing this so that people of all faiths or no faith are not offended. That's literally why it began. And they will, they'll come up with all sorts of stories that... 1,500 years, BCE is what they say, before common error, error. they were taking, keeping time by, okay, it's just a bunch of baloney, uh, balogna uh, in the Greek is what that's called. <laughs> so we're going to use before Christ in AD when we talk about dates in the year of our Lord, okay? So... So I'm rounding dates off. Let's just say that Jesus resurrected around 30 A.D., so you can get the dates here. And around 35, he appears to Paul, so five years after the resurrection. But 95, he appears to John. This is what I want you to catch from that. 65 years after the resurrection is when Jesus appears to John. And, and, and speaks these seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And by the way, we're going—they're we're, in chapter two and three. And you need to know—if you go and look at it, if you have a red letter edition on your iPad or phone or whatever how you read the Bible, or if you have one that actually has pages in it, you know, if it's red letter, all every word in chapter two and three is red letter. It's all Jesus. Every bit of it, him speaking to John. And then he shows up in chapter 1, and, and he says some things. So this is where it starts on the island of Patmos. Why is he on the island of Patmos? He's on the island of Patmos, John, is because he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, get why? Because he wouldn't die. That's the truth. Every disciple other than Judas and John were martyred. John wasn't martyred, but they tried to martyr him. Tertullian tells us this, uh, who's a historian of the day. He says, they put him in a cauldron of boiling oil, but he continued to preach and suffered no harm. So they pull him out of this boiling oil, and the emperor who's tired, the Roman Empire, who's tired of hearing him preach, bans him, exiles him to the island of Patmos, okay? So that's where he writes, the book of Revelation, about 95 or 96 AD. He wrote the book of John and 1 John, Second John, Third John between 90 and 95. Some say when he was on the island, some say before, I think he was still in Ephesus when he wrote that. That's the church he attended, by the way, the church at Ephesus, which is the first letter, which is uh, Timothy was the pastor. If you remember 1 Timothy, St. Timothy, and Paul's writing to Timothy, a spiritual son. Okay, so Timothy's the pastor, John also was the disciple that took care of Jesus' mother until she passed away. All of this happened, uh, him being banned and exiled after Mary had already passed away. Um, But it's while he's at the church of Ephesus. The reason I wanted to say that when he wrote the gospel of John is because he wrote his gospel after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark wrote about 70 A.D. I mean, yeah, Mark, Matthew, and Luke wrote about 85 A.D., John's about 90 AD. The reason he wrote his gospel is Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels. Synoptic means similar. So you will find many of the same miracles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but you won't find them in John. The reason, again, that John wrote is because they only wrote about the third year of Jesus's ministry. They write about the birth and the death, but then the, every one of them, Mark 1, Matthew 4 and Luke 3 all say after John was imprisoned. And John was imprisoned two years into Jesus' ministry. So they're all covering the last year, the third year of Jesus' ministry. John then decides to write his gospel after all three of those have been written because no one had covered the first two years of his ministry. So you find things in John you won't find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, you'll find in, in John 1 begins in the beginning, the way Genesis begins. It's the only other book in the Bible that begins that way. You'll find in John 2, the first miracle Jesus ever did. He turned uh, water into wine. Uh, you'll find in chapter 3, the conversation of Nicodemus. Chapter 4, the um, woman at the well, the conversation of her. Chapter 5, the healing of the blind man at the pool of Bethesda. Chapter 6, where he describes, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Chapter 7, where he describes how he is the Messiah and that he has equal authority with the Father. Chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. None of these are in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Chapter 9, the healing of the blind man. Chapter 10, that he's the good shepherd. Chapter 11, the um, raising of Lazarus from the dead. It's a whole chapter. Chapter 12, the anointing preparing his body for burial. Chapter 13, the washing of the disciples' feet. Not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Uh, chapter 14 is what he said at the Last Supper. This is the only place we have this recorded. Chapters 15 and 16 is on the way to the garden. And then chapter 17 is the prayer he actually prays in the garden. So we have that prayer. And then chapter 18 is the crucifixion and picks up and coincides with the other. Although it has some two or three statements, I'd have to go back and look, that he said in John are recorded that are not recorded in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Are y'all following me? Is this too much detail for you or is this... Interesting. Okay. So you've got John who writes this, when he writes it. Now, one thing about John you need to know, the average age uh, was the, for death rate was in the 50s. People didn't live very long back then. John lived to be over 100 years old. At the end of his life, it was said that he could only say three words. There's a story that is in history, but it's not in the Bible, so we don't know about its authenticity. But it's that one day John was at the church at Ephesus where he attended, and they said, hey, John's here, the last living disciple of Jesus. And so please come to the front, come tell us, come tell us, you know, what was it like walking with Jesus? What was it like being with Jesus? And he walked to the front, and he said three words, love one another. And he went and sat down. They said toward the end of his life, it's the only three words he would say for several years, love one another. If you remember, John's the only one, John 14, that recorded Jesus saying at the Last Supper, a new commandment I give you, a new commandment. He talks about it in the first John and second John also. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Um, with him only saying those words, I heard, I know Franklin Graham's a good friend of mine, Billy Graham's son and then I was invited to attend the memorial service of Dr. Graham. Only 2,000 pastors were invited and friends, and I was on the fourth row, and Billy Graham's pastor shared a story about Billy Graham, and Franklin shared with me that in his final years, he didn't speak much, but when he did speak, most of the time he only said four words. So his pastor at his memorial service told the story that every Saturday, they didn't have Saturday services at the church, only Sunday, they didn't have online services. So every Saturday, he would go over to Dr. Graham's house, talk with him some, and then preach his message on Saturday to Dr. Graham that he was going to share on Sunday. So personally, I don't know if I'd want to preach in front of Billy Graham, but that's what the pastor did. And for the last few years, Billy Graham didn't say hardly anything. And so um, the pastor's over there preaching this message. And after he preached it, he said to Dr. Graham, Dr. Graham, I don't know if you recognize this message, but this is a message actually that you preached. And Dr. Graham started shaking his head. And he said, you preached this in such and such city, in such and such crusade. And he, then he told him how many people got saved. And I really don't remember the number, 5,000 or 10,000 or whatever. He said, this, this many people got saved when he preached this message. And Dr. Graham raised his finger and said the four words that he was known for saying toward the end of his life, it was all him. Those are the words he used to say a lot toward the end of his life. People would congratulate him or commend him on his life and he would always say, it was all him. So that's kind of the way John was toward the end of his life. Now, these seven churches, let me get back to the seven churches, are in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Why did he write a letter to these seven churches? He did it because they were on the most populous trade route of the day. Let me show you a map so you can kind of get it in your mind of where the seven churches are and where the island of Patmos is. So there's the island of Patmos where John was, and then if you started Ephesus and go up and go clockwise, that's the order of the letter. That's the order of the letters, the seven letters. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. By the way, Philadelphia started an extension campus in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a horrible joke, but it's funny. All right, and then, and then the last letter, the seventh letter, uh, to the church at Laodicea. All right, so that kind of lets you know a little bit, and I think that the Lord spoke to these seven churches. They were major churches at that time, but then he knew that these letters, and you have to remember, it wasn't just the seven letters in two and three. It was the whole letter. It was the letter of Revelation, the book of Revelation, which would go through the inscripturation process. So he knew it would become Scripture, the last book of the Bible. And he knew that once these seven churches passed the whole book, around, the whole letter, that then it would go then to other the rest of the body of Christ. You see what I'm saying? So it was a strategic plan. All of the letters seem to have three parts. Now, these won't be my three points for each of the letters, and I can't go through verse by verse and just explain, because this is a seminary class, although I'll make comments, but I believe the Holy Spirit's going to point out one thing that we need to learn from each of these letters, you know, one major thing, Okay. But all of the letters seem to have, um, let me say, five of the seven, you see it very clearly. Two of the seven, it's difficult to see it, but it is there. But they all seem to have three parts. Commendation, correction, counsel. They start with commendation, the Lord saying, this is what you're doing well. Correction, this is what you need to change. And then counsel, this is how you need to change it. Now, one other thing about the seven churches is... People see these differently. Some theologians see these differently. Some theologians see these as um, church history. And it's a timeline from the resurrection until the second coming. And so the letter at Ephesus was about the first church for two to 300 years, then fourth century, they're saying that's when they moved to the second church and, the third, and then third, and then they'll say, and you could see now we're in the seventh letter Church of Laodicea, so we're the end-time church. There are some that see these seven letters as written, obviously, to those literal churches, but they're only for the end-time church. I don't believe either of those. I believe these seven were literal to the seven churches, but also letters to all the churches of all time. In other words, whether you lived in the 7th century or the, the 12th century or the 21st century, These letters are for us. Here are two reasons why I believe that. Uh, Because it's in the Bible. God put it in the Bible. So just like the letter of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus, yet God has spoken to you through Ephesians, I think he can speak to you through these seven letters, which encompass one letter. So it's by the Spirit. The second reason I believe it's for all churches of all time is all of them end with, either at the last line or close to the last of the letter, they'll say this, all of them say this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, plural. Anyone who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Now remember, Jesus said these, yet the Spirit inspired the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit. So let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the Scriptures, all right? So let me show you how this is. The whole book of Revelation is to to all the seven churches. Revelation 1-4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So he, this is in chapter one. He's telling you the revelation of Jesus Christ is for all seven churches. That's the whole book, okay, was written to these seven churches. Verse 11, Jesus shows up. He shows up in verse seven, I think. But in verse 11, it says, he's saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, And what you see, this is Jesus talking to John, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And then he lists those seven just the same way we had them a while ago. And then Revelation 1 verse 20, now he's gonna tell us something about the seven stars because they all start with to the angel. So he's gonna tell us something about the angels and the churches, all right? Revelation 1 20 the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches so when john sees jesus he's in the midst of seven golden lampstands and he has seven stars in his right hand so The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we're not the light, but we hold the light. (laughs) That we're just a lampstand. You don't light a light, Jesus said, and put it under a basket. You put it on a lampstand. So the higher the church holds the light, the more people are going to come to Christ. So churches are lampstands. The stars are messengers. They're angels. The Greek word is angelos, which means a messenger, I personally believe that this is the senior pastor or the pastors of the seven churches, not an angelic being. This is why. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about John the Baptist and call him a messenger. But it's the same Greek word for angel, but they're talking about a man. And then in Revelation, John has this angel that's showing him around. Remember, you've read the book of Revelation probably. He has an angel that's showing him around. And he falls down and begins to worship him. And the angel says, "Don't worship me." Now listen to why he says, Revelation 22 verse nine. Then he said to me, "See that you do not do that, for I am your I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets." So I don't think this is an angelic being like an angel from the Old Testament when it talks about the angels and the angels in camp around. I think this is actually a a prophet, maybe from the Old Testament. He says, I'm I'm one of your fellow servants. I'm, I'm one of your brothers. So I believe that when it says to the angels, it's talking about to the pastors of the churches. Because the pastors would get up and read the letter to the church and said, listen, John sent a letter back and Jesus appeared to him, and I want to read you this letter. So he's talking to the leaders. Also... Leaders are referred to as stars in the Bible. Daniel chapter 12, verse three says, those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. So that's my belief about what these seven angels, all right, that they're the pastors, all right? All right, y'all ready to get to the first letter? You didn't fall asleep, did, did you? I mean, I test my sermons on Debbie and when she starts dozing. I know I've gone into too many details. All right. So Revelation 2 verse 1. And I'll make comments throughout about some of the comments. All right. Some of the verses. To the angel, which could be, it's the messenger, could be the pastor of the church of Ephesus. That'd be Timothy. Right. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now verse 2 starts the commendation all right? Here's the commendation. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now, this is referring to the Nicolaitans, and we're going to talk about those in the third church, all right? You can't bear those who are evil. This next is also referring to them. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and you have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So that's the commendation. The counts, the correction in verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Okay, so let me just go ahead and give you right now, I guess they can do it. The, the title of the message is Return to Your First Love. So return to your first love, all right? All right, so let's go back. Verse four, I have this against you. You've left your first love. That's the correction. Verse five is the counsel. Remember there from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In other words, I'm not gonna let you hold the light anymore because I don't want people to see the type of light you're holding. Uh, Let me make a comment. The church at Ephesus was a church that emphasized truth. And Jesus said, I want you to emphasize love as much as you emphasize truth. That's basically the, kind of a bottom line of this, all right? Verse six, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let me make a comment about that. Again, we'll talk, I'll, I will tell you exactly what the deeds of the Nicolaitans are in the third message in this series, all right? But I want you to notice, this goes back to what Josh said last week, that you can share in God's anger against wickedness, as long as you share his compassion for people. Notice he doesn't say that he hates the Nicolaitans. He says, I hate their deeds. He loves people, but he hates the deeds. So I'll tell you what the deeds are in the third message. That's called a teaser, by the way, all right? <laughs> Verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. And then he says, and this is in in many of the letters, something like this, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, I told you a while ago, there's three parts. It seems like there's really four in most of the letters, and that's a reward. But the other three that I had, commendation, uh, correction, and counsel, all begin with the letter C. And I couldn't think of a a word for crown. Look at that. It's a gift. It's a gift, I'm telling you. So they all have four parts, all right? Commendation, correction, counsel, and crown. That's all right, all right, we got it all there. Okay. So verse four, (laughs) verse four says, I had this against you that you left your first love. So I want to ask you something. Have you ever felt that way? Well, if you're a believer, you have, unless you got saved an hour ago. You have felt like that you don't love Jesus like you did when you first got saved. You've gone through that. You're you're like, I I just I I want you to do something in my heart, because man, I was so excited and I just fell in love with you when I first got saved. I I feel like I've left my first love. Okay. It's really easy to get it back. And he tells us how to do it in verse five. That's his counsel. All right. Watch this, verse five. Remember there from where you have fallen. Repent. What's repent mean? Change your mind. Just change the way you're thinking about this and do the first works. Do the first works. Here's how simple it is. He's saying, do what you did when you first got saved. Just do it again. Okay, for me, it was three things when I thought about this, all right? And by the way, they all begin with the same letter, just so you know. Uh, okay, worship, word. Now we'll go through each of them. These are our three points, worship, word, and witness. Worship, word, and witness, okay? So we, w- we don't have time to go through a bunch of stuff on them, but we'll hit each of them, all right? Number one's worship. When I first got saved, I just wanted to spend time in the presence of God. And worship can include prayer. But I want you to think about when I first got saved and when you first got saved, we just wanted to get to know God. We just wanted to be in his presence. We'd love being in his presence. And then life gets busy. So for me, I got saved at 19, nine months after Debbie and I got married. Um, And then um, about a year after that, Josh was born. And then along came James, and then came Elaine. Okay, children, work. When Josh was born, before Josh was born, Debbie worked. When Josh was born, she quit work. We went from a two-income family to a one-income family. Life got busy. My work started taking off. Um, We had children, so we learned how to not sleep. (laughs) Anybody ever been through this? And so all of a sudden, we feel like we've left our first love. And so I remember telling the Lord, when I was reading this passage, this is years ago, just a few years into my Christianity. Lord, that's me. I've left my first love. And it was like he said, look at the next verse. Do the first works. And I just felt like the Lord said, make it a priority to spend time in my presence just make it a priority. So I began to do that. Here's the second thing is Word. Spend time in the Word of God. Now the Bible has 1,189 chapters. Uh, I'm going to round it to 1,200 just for math again, okay? So that means if you read 40 chapters a day, I know that that's a lot, I understand that, um, but you could go through the whole Bible in 30 days let me put it another way. If you read 10, I think I started too much, all right? If you read 10 chapters a day, you can go through the whole Bible three times a year. You can do it in 120 days. 10 chapters, 1,200 chapters, it's 1189, but close to 12. You can do it in, in uh, four months, all right? 120 days. So, so for me, I was traveling and preaching. So I was preaching revivals at night. So I had a lot of time during the day. So I, that's how I started doing this math if I read, if for me, it takes about one hour to read 10 chapters. So if I thought if I read 40 a day, I can go through the whole Bible in a month. And by God's grace, I was able to do that many times. And then I thought, you know, if I read 50 chapters a day, again, I'm, I'm, during, I'm working at night from seven to 11 or so during these revivals in the evening. So during the day, I had the time to do this. I, if I do 50 chapters a day, and do it in 24 days. And then a few times... When I wasn't even, when I didn't have a revival or something, I just took time away and I would read 100 chapters a day. It takes about 12 hours to do that for me, but I'd read 100 hours a day and go through the whole Bible in 12 days. And I just did that many, many times. It just got me in the Word. Now, let me tell you something that applies to all of us. Maybe you're on a daily Bible reading program or you try to read a chapter in the Old, chapter in the New, a psalm every day, whatever it is. Have you ever opened up the Bible to read your daily Bible reading and you think to yourself, oh, I've read this passage before. And then the next thought, which is from the enemy, by the way, is, you know, you're running a little late, so you could skip Bible reading today. That'll save you like 10 minutes. Okay, so let me give you a comparison Uh, Have you ever had a nutritious meal, a good tasting, like one of your favorite, best tasting, but nutritious meal, set down in front of you, and you thought to yourself, oh, I've had this before. (laughs) So I don't need to eat today. You don't think that, do you? You eat it anyway, even though you've eaten it before, because your body needs nutrition, right? So when you open your Bible to a passage you've read before, read it anyway, because your soul needs nutrition. Read it anyway. So worship word, this is what I feel like the Lord wants to say to us, and then witness. When I got saved, I just felt like I witnessed to everybody all the time. And uh, as I grew in the Lord, I kind of got away. Now, I'm not talking about uh, telling seven strangers a day the Roman road, okay? I'm not talking about, hey, excuse me, can I tell you, uh, the Bible says you're a sinner and you're going to hell and Jesus died for your sins, okay? I got to go talk to someone else now, okay? I'm talking about with sincerity, Just work Jesus into the conversation. Just work God into the conversation. You know, if someone says, man, this rain was sure a blessing, you could simply say, man, it really was a blessing. And I'm telling you, for me, because I was so messed up, once this guy shared with me how I could give God control of my life, now I really do see everything as a blessing. Okay, you'll get one of three responses when you do something like that. One will be, I know exactly what you mean. Once I gave my life to the Lord, I just see blessings everywhere now. Well, you found a fellow believer. Second response you might get is, what what do you mean gave God control of your life? Because I've been kind of thinking about the whole God thing, so what do you mean? Now you get a chance to witness to someone. Third response you might get would be, okay, okay. And then the person backs away slowly. (laughs) But that's okay. You planted a seed. You didn't get to water it, but you got to plant it, all right? So you need to understand worship in the Word and witness. God did not design us to be reservoirs. He designed us to be rivers. The way a reservoir becomes stagnant well, let me say it this way. For a reservoir to not become stagnant, it must have two things. It must have water flowing in and water flowing out. Worship in the Word and witnessing. That's the only way you're going to return to your first love. Let me give you one example um, you ever had maybe, let's just talk to the guys for a minute. You got a group of guys, group of friends, and all of a sudden you notice that Jim isn't showing up. You know, Tuesday night's bowling night, Friday night's poker night, and all of a sudden Jim's not here. And so you say, what happened to Jim? And they, what do they say? He met a girl. <laughs> right? And pretty soon you see Jim standing at a mall outside a store, Hold the purse. <laughs> and when you go talk to Jim, what does he do? He talks about her. Oh, man, you need to, this girl I met, you, I mean, she's incredible. We like all the things. He wants to do two things. He wants to spend time with her, and he wants to talk about her. You want to know Why? Because he just fell in love. Are y'all following me? When you first fall in love with Jesus, you just want to spend time with him worshiping the word and you won't talk about him. That's how you return to your first love. It's that simple. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every weekend we ask the Lord a question at the end of the message. Holy Spirit, What are you saying to me through this message? I just want you to ask him. He's not mad at you. He knows all the good things you're doing. The only reason he wants you to return to your first love is for you. It benefits you. It makes this life so much more joyful, so much more exciting. So this is counsel. Yes, he's correcting something that could you know, lead to another, a, a, a drab, dreary life for us, but he's giving you counsel. Let me tell you how you return to your first love. Do the first works. So maybe it's not those three things. Maybe you wouldn't say them the way I said them, but let the Lord define it for you. And then just give him a response. Tell him, Lord, I want to return to my first love. Lord, I want to tell you thank you. I want to tell you you, thank you, Lord, that we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, we want to, all of us, commit today to return to our first love. We want to spend time with you and we want to talk about you. And we want to be the lampstand that holds the light that you set it on a heel so everybody can see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 71010 or visit gatewaypeople.com. We hope you have a great week.